So, Mom. Yeah, Isaac? It's the first episode of our Disney podcast. Yeah, exciting. And if there's one thing that defines Disney, it's litigation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're known for their army of copyright lawyers who are just, just waiting for you to slip up. <laughs> We're talking about the company that tried to copyright Dia de los Muertos before the release of Coco. <laughs> so what you're saying is... Even though Disney movies are known for their music, and this one perhaps in particular, we can't use any of it. That's true, that's true. But I have a cunning plan. <laughs> what you can do, potentially, is do a cover version of the song. Uh-huh. Disney doesn't necessarily own that, but cover versions are sort of a legal gray area. So what if we also changed the words? So like a parody. Yeah, a parody's probably the right way to think about what you're about to experience with your ears. <laughs> so here it is. Here's our theme song for this week. Lay it on me. Someday my pod will cast. Someday I'll pod at last. And that pod will almost certainly be cast. <laughs> Very nice. What do you think? Very nice. 10 out of 10? 11 out of 10? Oh, I think it's definitely, definitely out of 10. Well... I have a feeling this bit is going to stick around. So on that note, let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Me, Mom, and the Mouse, a podcast about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. We're watching every film in the Disney animated canon and talking about how it was made, what it means, and why we love it or don't. My name is Isaac Coleman, and I'm joined, as always, by my mother, Rue Coleman. Hello. How you doing today, Mom? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to be talking with you about this movie. Yes, indeed. This week on the program, we are starting Disney's Golden Era, uh, the five original classics that sort of put this company on the map, with 1937's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Directed by David Hand as the supervising director, Additional sequences directed by William Cottrell, Wilfred Jackson, Larry Morey, Purse Pierce, and Ben Sharpstein. Wow, a lot of people had to do that. It took a whole lot of people to make this movie. <laughs> and it took a whole lot of people to direct it, and it took a whole lot of people to animate it, uh, because this movie probably should not exist. <laughs> well, it was the first, so, you know, it's always hard to be the first. By all the laws of what we knew to be possible at the time, this movie should not exist. And yet, <laughs> it does, and we watched it. If you're listening to this episode, hopefully you listened to our previous episode. It's a short little introduction. We uh, talk about ourselves. We talk about our relationship with Disney movies. We talk about why we wanted to do this podcast. Uh -huh. But maybe, maybe you wanted to get started right with one of the movies. Maybe you are the world's biggest Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs fan. Maybe you're a real grumpy head. <laughs> you just wanted to jump right into the actual episodes and skip the intro. If that's the case, since this is our first full episode, let's talk a little about that. Alrighty. We have both been watching Disney movies our entire lives. Oh yes. We are generations three and four of a hardcore Disney family. Disney is in my blood, and therefore in yours. That's how that works. It's a disease. It's like midi-chlorians. <laughs> no! 
<laughs> you have to cut that one out. No nasty, stupid midichlorians. Leaving jokes. it in. Leaving it in. <laughs> I thought it would be really interesting to do a podcast about the Disney movies because I think the history of them is fascinating. I think the movies themselves are fascinating. Um, I and I just I love talking about movies. It's true. You do like to talk about movies. And these are movies we can talk about together. Indeed. Because I don't love all the movies you love, but we do all love these. Someday I will talk my mom into watching Vim Vendors until the end of the world, and then we'll do a podcast about that. But until then... Disney! We've always loved talking about Disney movies. I would even go so far as to say that when I inevitably did what all children must do and left the house and uh, stopped calling frequently enough. <laughs> I think that talking about Disney movies and watching Disney movies and especially since the modern ones usually release around Thanksgiving so I would come home for the break and we'd do that was a way that we could really keep in touch despite yeah. being physically apart. I agree. And who doesn't want a way to stay in touch while keeping physically apart as we record this episode in May of 2020? Yep. That is true. And we're going to give the context for these movies. This first one especially, we're going to give you a lot of the history. But I don't want this to be a history show. I don't want this to be like a critical show. I could have made that show. I am that kind of person. Mm -hmm. I want this to be what I said up top, where it's a show about the joy of watching cartoons with your family. Yes. So, with all that housekeeping out of the way, Mom... We're going to talk about Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yes, we are. What does this movie mean to you? Well, this movie, it's the first. It's not the first I ever got to see, of course, because when I was young, this movie was only available occasionally in theaters. So I never got to see this movie until I was almost 16 years old when it came out in the theatrical release in 93. I never thought at that time that it would ever be available on video just because they hadn't released it, even though others had been. They always seemed like they were just going to keep it in theaters every several years <laughs> forever. But they finally, of course, did release it for home video. And then, of course, I'd seen it for that. I had seen a lot of the song segments before because they always put those on some of the specials or whatever, or you'd see something about Snow White and they'd have to show you know, the same old bits over and over. Right. I would say I had kind of a similar thing. I definitely feel like my strongest memories of this movie are through the medium through which I think Walt meant it to be viewed, which is a VHS trailer. <laughs> I don't remember which of our movies had it. Probably more than one. Even though we didn't own this movie, we owned a lot of Disney movies and a lot of Disney VHSs. Mm -hmm. And of course, those things had trailers. Yep. I actually, on several of those, I had memorized the exact amount of time I could fast forward the trailers for you so you wouldn't have to watch them every time before you watched the movie. Stuff you will never have to learn. Correct. An amazing skill that is now fully worthless. Yep. So especially like any line that's in that or any like shot that's in that is burned into my memory, <laughs> particularly the big sort of music swells end of the trailer line, which I remember exactly as this. One bite and all your dreams come true. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> Coming soon to VHS. <laughs> I probably watched this as a kid, but the first time I remember seeing this was we went as a family to Walt Disney World in 2014 
We rode the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train roller coaster, which mm-hmm. was at that time pretty new. Yeah. And afterwards, you know, I kind of remembered the movie. Probably I just remembered the trailer. <laughs> but Isaiah, my younger brother, didn't remember the movie at all. Was like, you know, what is this like mine train ride about? <laughs> and so you were like, oh, well, we have to watch it. Right. And so we we got the Blu-ray and we watched it. Mm-hmm. And and that's the first time I really remember it. I didn't care for it too much then. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think I like it more now yeah let's talk about walter elias disney the man the myth the legend walter elias disney better known as walt duh was born on december 5th 1901 though he was actually born in chicago his family moved to and is definitely better associated with kansas city missouri yep very close to where we live now Mm -hmm. very close to where i grew up in a home that you and dad still live in except That was in Kansas City, Kansas, the better side. (laughs) Simply by virtue of him growing up in Kansas City, Missouri, we are objectively better than Walt Disney. (laughs) And Walt is a complicated man. Obviously, during his actual sort of career and lifetime, he was practically canonized as a saint, both by the media at the time, but especially by the company that obviously had a very vested interest in selling the idea of Walt Disney as a character. Yes, and he did mostly seem to play the part whenever you would see him in a public, whenever you would see him in a show or something. He was definitely playing Uncle Walt. Absolutely. And so perhaps unsurprisingly, especially after his death, there was a backlash to this, and now a lot of people... Uh, especially fellow left-leaning critics like myself, tend to see him as this kind of evil capitalist. There's, you know, let's dig up every piece of dirt ever had on him. And again, this is not a biographical podcast. And it's certainly not a podcast where we're, like, interested in passing judgment on him or anything. I think the truth, as with most things, is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. He was definitely an evil capitalist (laughs) and i think he was also a deeply passionate artist and i think kind of the linchpin of this so walt when he's growing up he quickly falls in love with art and he just like he, he he becomes one of these people he will take any job that allows him to draw mm hmm He was a newspaper cartoonist, he worked at commercial arts studios, he drew advertisements, he worked as an ambulance driver and drew cartoons on the side of his ambulance. That would make his ambulance a lot more interesting than most ambulances, I would think. Wouldn't you rather be picked up by one with pictures on it? I think it depends on the pictures, (laughs) gonna be honest. Gonna be real with you. True, true. Think cartoony Mickey Mouse and stuff, like, I'm not thinking like body parts we don't know i don't know what he drew i just this just says he drew on his ambulance i don't know uh he tried to join the army but arrived too late the war was already over so instead unsurprisingly he drew for the army newspaper there you go and eventually he gets into cartoons he ends up working for this producer named charles mintz and he creates the beloved character oswald oswald the lucky rabbit and then he asks if he could get paid money for doing this, get paid a livable wage. And not only does Charles Mintz say no, he also fires him, and it's then that Disney discovers he does not own the right to his creation. Yep, he lost Oswald. And I really feel like this is kind of the linchpin, because I feel like this is where, I, I think 
I truly think Walt is an artist. I truly think he cares, like, deeply about his art and his characters and his work. But I think this kind of teaches him this lesson, whether it's true or false, I think he gets this belief in his head where if I'm going to be successful as an artist and if I'm going to be allowed to make art on my own terms, I have to become kind of a jerk. Like, I have to get them before they get me. Yeah, I want to be the boss. And then, skipping over a lot of steps, he partners with his brother Roy, creates his own company, and develops the character of Mickey Mouse. Yay. Mickey Mouse is a huge hit. Disney's company starts doing really well. It starts making cartoons because that's how American animation exists as this time, as yeah. short cartoons. That's all there really is. And there's basically two main series of cartoons that Disney makes. One is the Silly Symphonies, mm -hmm. which are exactly what they sound like. <laughs> and the other is Mickey Mouse, which is exactly what it sounds like. Mickey and Donald and Goofy and all their friends. He's not satisfied with just making these shorts, even though they're successful and very good. Apparently he wasn't continuing to make money on them over time. Because, I mean, what? You're going to release it on home video? You know? <laughs> that doesn't exist. No. So he decides in a true burst of madness that you know what will be more profitable Making a feature-length animated film. <laughs> he definitely was a visionary. Coming up with ideas nobody else would even think of. Right. But the idea that this would be more profitable is nuts. Yeah. He gives this pitch meeting where apparently he acts out the entire story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to his staff. Yep. Which I desperately wish we had cell phone cameras and someone was filming that. Oh, I, would, I know. I would love to see him just running around the room doing voices. <laughs> and I would love to see the faces of the other people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, though, they were hooked. I think a lot of the animators were hooked, if uh -huh. cautiously so. His brother and business partner, Roy, tried mm -hmm. to talk him out of it. His wife tried to talk him out of it. Everyone, like, in the Hollywood press made fun of it. They called it Disney's folly during yep. production. Apparently, they also thought nobody would be able to sit through a feature-length animated movie because nobody could stand to watch the bright colors for that long on the screen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they thought it would be, like... 120 frames per second, right? I don't know. Or 3D, like it would be physically draining. <laughs> yeah, people would walk out because they just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> that is amazing. So crazy. Um, he wanted to prove that you could make an animated film for $250,000. Boy, was he wrong. $250,000, a number he arrived at because that was 10 times the budget of an average Silly Symphony, right? <laughs> yeah. This movie's longer than 10 times the length of a Silly Symphony, Walt. <laughs> Your math don't work out, Walt. <laughs> this movie cost $1.5 million to make. Wow. He had to mortgage his house. And they were still working on it just before it was released, so, you know. Right. And that's why I can't fully buy the idea that, oh, Disney, he was just in it for the money. These are not the actions of someone who's just in it for the money. Right. People who are just in it for the money don't take risks like this. By the way, one and a half million dollars was a huge budget for any film. 
Forget yeah. animated films, which don't exist in America yet. Mm-hmm. Also, you know, it's still in the towards the end of the Depression. And they and, you know, part of that cost is because they invent new technology. Oh, yeah. For animation. They had to. They invent something called the multiplane camera, which is this giant camera that physically separates animation cells to create the illusion of death. I highly recommend if you're a listener and you haven't seen it, you at least look up a picture of this thing. Oh, it's gigantic. It's like floor to ceiling. So you could put the farthest away uh, background pieces on the floor and then just layer it up all the way up. And um, you could have all your different pieces moving at different rates so that it looked so much more realistic. Right, because there's no Photoshop layers yet. If you want to make a background look farther away, you physically hold the physical piece of paper farther away from the real camera you are pointing (laughs) at paper. (laughs) Yes. Well, you know, animation sells, but close enough. (laughs) Right, right. But ultimately, it's a huge hit. Yes. And it did make money off it. He spent it all, of course, on other things, but he did make some money off it. And we'll talk about that next week. (laughs) Now, we don't have true box office reporting numbers at this time. Supposedly it made 418 million. That's the number that's quoted. Can't can't necessarily, you know, trust like that because we weren't we simply weren't reporting box office at the time in the way we are now. But it was definitely a big hit. Mm-hmm. In addition to being a big commercial success, it was a uh, critical success. Immediately, too. Uh, the very next day, people were writing articles about how amazing and wonderful it was. Right. It's like, you know, the the sudden turnaround in reaction is like if Tom Hooper's Cats had turned out to be a masterpiece. <laughs> Surprised they didn't give themselves whiplash. I can't find it now, but there I found this review that talked about how people thought the human faces were super realistic. Literally, they said that the human faces were so realistic people would forget they were watching animation. <laughs> I guess they were a lot more realistic than animation of the day. It's a long way to go to get to the way things are now, though. Absolutely, and I think what they're really latching onto here is not literally people will forget they're looking at a cartoon. I mean, they still look like drawings. Mm-hmm. I think it's more they're latching on to how good the quote-unquote acting in this movie is. Yeah, they used models doing the acting for them so they could copy it in their animation. Right. It was nominated for Best Musical Score at the Academy Awards. Wow. It obviously wasn't nominated for Best Animated Film because <laughs> that, that didn't exist yeah. yet. It did not win Best Score, but Disney did get an honorary Academy Award for a, quote, significant screen innovation which has charmed millions and pioneered a great new entertainment field. Yeah. I've seen clips of that, of course, several times. The scene from the Academy Awards with Shirley Temple presenting the Oscar with the seven little Oscars next to it. Yep. Good bit. Yep. It also created merchandising opportunities something we'll be talking about a lot with disney this was the we talked about how it was nominated for score this was the first movie to ever get a soundtrack release (laughs) the first american movie And, and speaking of firsts we should note this is not the first animated feature film oh it is often cited as such but that is not accurate it's also not the first animated feature film with sound or the first animated feature film 
in color. It is not the first American anime feature film. And just to prevent the tweets, some people argue it's not even the first Disney animated film because to advertise Snow White, they released a 40-minute compilation of shorts as a movie, sort of. (laughs) 40 minutes, it's like the novella of movies. (laughs) Nobody counts that. I don't count that. You don't count that. No. This will head off any tweets we get. (laughs) What this movie is, though, and it's something that's much harder to quantify, this is the first, like, this is the proof of concept. Especially for American animation, this is a real art form, and we need to take it seriously. Like, Mm -hmm. animated feature films, they're here. Yeah. People also were assuming it was going to be kind of a gag a minute, like the shorts, most of them. Um, But Disney really proved that he knew how to tell a long form story with this, where you've got to have more than one emotion. If you have a five minute short, it's okay to have it all be jokes. But if you have a 90 minute movie, you've got to have more notes than one. Mm -hmm. And originally it was going to be much more jokey. That's kind of what Disney initially latched onto. Like the reason he wanted to do this story was because he thought the Seven Dwarfs offered a lot of opportunity for jokes and, like, screwball comedy humor. Yeah. And while they are the most jokey part of the movie, I'm glad they're not the only thing in the movie. Can I hit you with some rejected dwarf names? Sure. So there was apparently a list of about 50 potential dwarf names. Because (laughs) in in the original story... Dwarfs don't got names. Nah, fairy tales be like that. And Disney wanted to give them names and make them characters and, Mm -hmm. you know, make them jokey. Yep. Some of the names that did not make it into the movie included Jumpy. (laughs) I could see how that would be, might be interesting. Mm -hmm. I think his deal was probably that he jumps. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I think there the idea for Jumpy begins and ends. (laughs) Maybe he was supposed to be Uh, scared, like. Oh, I'm jumpy. Uh, I'm nervous. There was Deafy. Oh, like deaf couldn't hear? Yep, D-E-A-F-Y, so I would assume. I'm glad they didn't go that route. Dizzy? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hickey? Hickey. Like a hick? Or what? H-I-C-K-E-Y. Huh. I I have no more information for you than that. (laughs) I guess it could be hiccups, but... Still. Wheezy. That, that, you know, that's our guy right there. <laughs> right, exactly. That's 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 the asthmatic representation we crave. Yeah. Baldy? <laughs> well, they're all bald. <laughs> yeah, it's a little redundant. Yeah, yeah. Gabby? Gabby talks a lot. Yeah, it's kind of doc. I don't know. I Gabby, I feel like, has some potential. I mean, it's a better bit than bashful. <laughs> Ah, oh, you don't like Bashful and his blushing all the time. We'll we'll talk about Bashful. Nifty? Nifty. Not sure what that it means. I don't know, but I would have liked to see it. Yeah. I like that one. Yeah. I'm interested in how they would conceptualize him. Sniffy? Sniffy. This is just wheezy again, guys. Right, right. Sneezy without the actual sneezing. <laughs> yeah. Swift? Huh. So he's fast didn't end with a y i know that's and i'm sure that's the only reason it was rejected well you know bashful doesn't end with a y either or doc lazy Mm, they got sleepy puffy so he's fat well the next one is stuffy (laughs) stuffy could go so many ways 
That could have something to do with your nose, or it could be fat again. Let's let's get real. This is the part of the pitch meeting where it was close to lunch and people were done with it. And they're like, I don't know, puffy, stuffy. Muffy. Tuffy. Buffy, is that anything? <laughs> Tubby. Tubby. Again, with the fat jokes. Yeah, I don't yeah. I'm I'm glad I'm glad we weren't doing that. And I don't need nineteen thirty seven fat jokes, thank you very much. <laughs> Shorty. Um well, you know, they're all, they're all dwarfs. They're all dwarfs. Dwarves feel like they should be uh, the reverse, some sort of Biggie joke instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Biggie, the most notorious dwarf. <laughs> and Burpee, <laughs> which would have just been unbearable. Oh, yeah, I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, but over time, as they're coming up with all these dwarf jokes and they're working on the movie, and this is credited to Disney... Mm-hmm. Disney took a lot of credit for a lot of things, so mm-hmm. maybe take it with a grain of salt. But supposedly Disney himself was the one who became a little concerned that if it was all jokes the whole time, that would make the characters feel less real and people would get into the movie less. Yeah. You know, I think he actually said he wanted to balance it out for every uh, joke. You had to have a moment of uh, pathos or sadness or drama so they sort of refit the story so that the main focus is the relationship between the queen and snow white Uh uh-huh at least that was the idea in practice i mean i agree that this movie isn't all jokes i don't know if it's really about the relationship between two characters who don't share a scene they share a scene when one of them is like in disguise and being weird yeah I, I, i would say it's more the relationship between snow white and the dwarfs Which, how hard is it to say dwarfs anyway? (laughs) Right. Let's talk about this. This movie is called Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with an FS. Yep. And you explained to me why that is. Because that was the accepted plural for the word dwarf back at that time. And the reason why now the accepted plural for dwarf is dwarves with a V is because of one of my favorite authors, J.R.R. Tolkien. His book, The Hobbit, came out just shortly before this movie, in which, of course, he had dwarves spelled with a V. And he actually had to get on his editors because they would send back the proofs um, having changed dwarves back to dwarfs or something. And he would have to be like, no, I really do mean for it to be dwarves with a V-E-S. That is the plural I want to use. Do not correct it. This is the way I want it. I did it on purpose. Same with elves. He did elf and elves instead of elf and elfs, um, which was the plural back then too. So because of Tolkien, now the accepted plural of dwarf is dwarves. And I have even heard people call this movie Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a ton, but it's actually dwarfs. I guarantee you I will call it that during this episode. Yep. Dwarfs is not, I mean, listen, J.R.R. was right. Dwarfs is not good to say. No, it's so much easier to say dwarves. And it's crazy to think that before him, not only were we not saying dwarves or elves, we weren't even saying orcviz. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently he also really hated Disney and never wanted... Uh, any of his stories adapted by Disney. (laughs) Right. It is so strange to think about J.R.R. Tolkien and Disney being contemporaries. Right. They were. And when you think about it, of course they were. And they both told stories about dwarfs so close together in time. (laughs) Right. And as you say, Tolkien hated Disney. 
Yep. He called him hopelessly corrupted. (laughs) Okay, dude. (laughs) He just had some very high-minded ideals of what fairy tales should be and didn't think they should be brought low (laughs) for the normal people. (laughs) Listen, listen, respect for both. But uh, I'm not surprised that the guy who wrote The Silmarillion wasn't a huge (laughs) fan of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's true. It should be 40 hours longer and plotless! (laughs) Didn't cover nearly enough time span. Why? You think you're so impressive because you have seven named characters? (laughs) I would give you 8,000 names, each less pronounceable than the last. (laughs) Again, they were both geniuses. I don't know why I'm coming so hard at Tolkien right now. It's true. J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, not only, you know, a brilliant writer who will have a more lasting impact on the culture than I am, but he could also probably kick my butt, right? (laughs) So all of that table setting and making fun of beloved English authors out of the way. (laughs) So shall we go ahead and talk about it? Yes, let's. Let's go through the plot. So it opens with a dedication from Disney himself. Mm -hmm. My sincere appreciation to the members of my staff whose loyalty and creative endeavor made possible this production. Very nice of him to do that. Since he, you know, worked them for 10 hour days for years to get this. Exactly. It's it's a very nice thing to find in the credits. What you won't find in the credits are uh, any of the voice actors. It's true. It's kind of a bummer. This movie was, I mean, it was the genesis of so many Disney things. And one of them, unfortunately, is screwing over the voice actors. Mm. Um, a trend that would continue really until Frozen. Only probably, what, but, 70 years later? Yeah, exactly. 60, 70. But uh, let's get out of the credits. Mm -hmm. We have another Disney tradition here. We open on a storybook. Very pretty storybook. I hope somewhere in their archives they have those books from the Disney princess movies. I'd love to see them someday. And, uh, oh, what's this? Coming over the wire. Can we get a a mom's status? Oh, right. Status of the mom in this movie? Dead to begin with. I mean, it doesn't specify exactly what happened to the mom. It's true. In the in the book, it says her evil stepmother. But you don't usually have a stepmother in those times without your mother being dead. So we can pretty much assume that her mother is dead. That's just how the Snow White story goes. Right. And, uh, oh, what's this? Also coming over the wire. Can we get an evil stepmom status? Status of stepmom. Jealous and evil. Good to know. Good to know. Good to check in on these things. Of course, you as a mother yourself, you always want to know how the mothers in Disney movies are doing. It's true. Usually bad. It's true. Bad bad with occasional instances of very bad. (laughs) But it'll be interesting to kind of keep track of it as we go along. This opening shot is one of the best places to see the effect of the multiplane camera. Uh This opening shot, the castle and the background are not moving simultaneously, and you can really see that depth that yeah, you're going it, for, just coming out of the gate really strong. It makes so much difference, the way they did this technique. It make, does make everything look so much more real than a cartoon where they basically are just all static. And it's so interesting, I think, that we actually open on the villain. It's true. The first scene, of course, is the queen. Uh, she has the magic miller. She asks... Magic Miller. (laughs) 
She cracks open the pop tab on that, (laughs) takes herself a sip. Then she looks at the magic mirror and asks who the fairest in the land is. And she's told it is this beautiful woman and she's given a description. She's like, Snow White. It's true. The mirror doesn't even say it's Snow White, but from the description, she can tell. Also, there aren't any other women in the movie. (laughs) Right. This is so this is a theory that we were talking about. Is that the mirror says fairest in the land, specifically. So if Snow White leaves the land, does that mean that the queen is the fairest in the land and everything's okay? Right, you don't have to kill her, you just have to get her to move to Kansas City, Missouri. (laughs) Where scum like her belongs. (laughs) Then we actually get to see Snow White at the wishing well, singing a song. In her rags, because she's being forced to work as a maid. So that she won't be as pretty, I guess, because work clothes make you ugly. (laughs) Well, on that note, so we watched this movie together, which since we no longer live in the same state means that we watched it and, you know, did a video call at the same time. Yep. I was taking notes throughout and I wrote down some of the comments you made. (laughs) This was your very first comment. The fact that Snow White was wearing clogs. She does wear clogs. It seems kind of strange. I guess clogs are peasant shoes? I I don't know. I just thought it was funny that, you know, we're watching this opening scene in quiet reverence. And what makes mom speak up? What's with them clogs? (laughs) I believe your exact words were, what are those? (laughs) Oh, but it should have been. And then a prince show up. Uh Uh-huh. He climbs over the wall. Now, some people say that this prince... Uh, has no name or arc or personality. Mm-hmm. They say that because it's true. <laughs> he apparently falls in love with Snow White because she can sing. But on my second watch, which I did alone, mm-hmm. I think I have identified that the prince actually does have a character arc. Oh, okay. I will tell you about it when we get to the very end of the movie. Oh, gotta keep me in suspense. Here is the key to the beginning of his character arc, though. Uh Uh-huh. When we first see him, he's riding a horse. Yeah. But the perspective is messed up. Okay. It's supposed to look like he's riding in from the background. You're supposed to believe he just arrived from the background, basically, so the Uh horse is trotting forward, but seemingly in place and at the same size. Okay. Keep that in mind. Put it in your pocket (laughs) for later. (laughs) This is essential. Okay. But then, as you say, he hops the fence. He starts singing to Snow White. She sings back to him. She goes inside the castle. They are practicing responsible social distancing. Yes, yes. There's a great panning shot over the top of the castle, which is just a gorgeous painting. Mm-hmm. From Snow White to the Queen. Who is standing in the window looking jealous, as she does. Right. It's, it's just a really nice visual signifier of, like that relationship that we're trying to establish. Mm -hmm. Also the camera work, which was, you know, physical camera work. (laughs) Yes. The camera work, both physical and fakey fake in this movie is exceptional. As is what we cut to next, which is fat Ringo star. (laughs) I think you mean the huntsman, right? Sorry. What did I say? No, it's the huntsman (laughs) who looks like fat Ringo star. (laughs) I kind of love this Huntsman character. He's such a small part. But he is so interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Especially, I just love the, like, 
this is really, I think, the where the acting starts to shine through. That, like, we're really, you know, trying to show human emotions on these animated characters' faces. Uh-huh. Because the queen asks... No, not asks. Orders him to mm-hmm. kill Snow White. Yep. And he doesn't want to. He's reluctant. Mm-hmm. I believe you said this was also sort of a change from the fairy tale. Well... I don't know. I don't know that I remember the exact way it is in the original Grimm fairy tale, but I've definitely read other versions and seen other things where the huntsman is her loyal subject, her loyal slave, whatever. Basically, he would do anything for the queen. So when she orders him to go kill Snow White, he's like, I'm on it because you want me to. But not in this one. He actually protests at first. I was kind of surprised I'd forgotten about that a little bit. And then we're outside with him and Snow White. Snow White is picking flowers, so of yep. course she's changed into a much, much nicer outfit. <laughs> yes, because when you go wandering the fields to pick flowers, you must put on your fancy dress. And heels. And your heels. Because you called out the clogs, I then noticed the heels. Gotta pay attention. But yeah, this is, I mean, this is the iconic red, blue, and yellow dress that you can buy a million dolls of. <laughs> yes. And the huntsman is like visibly, without any dialogue, wrestling with this decision. And you see so many, like, you see it all on his face. This like, I don't want to kill the princess. I feel bound to obey the queen. Also, like, she will probably kill me if I don't do this. Yeah, she will. That's what she said, I think. He raises the knife. There's a quiver in his hand that is just a moment that really stood out to me. Mm -hmm. And he just can't do it. Yep. And all the while, Snow White is being very kind to a little bird. That's true. So it's a really good, strong contrast, her being so sweet to the little baby bird that's lost and him getting ready to stab her. It's true. You know, it's it's Talmudic. It's this idea of, you know, if you want to see like how someone truly is, see how they treat people who they have complete power over. Right. Yeah. Yep. And he can't do it. Right. And it's such a good parallel. And he can't do it. And he says, listen, Queen's going to kill you. You have to go. I'm probably already dead. Yeah, run. So she does. And then she runs into the spooky woods. Now, in talking about his cinematic influences for this movie, the things Disney cites are MGM's Romeo and Juliet. Uh-huh. From 1936. Okay, yeah, it's a big budget movie musical. Like, obviously very romantic, very classical. I can see why you're taking inspiration from that. Yeah. But he also made his animators watch Nosferatu, <laughs> The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, mm-hmm. and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh-huh. Which are all horror movies yes by the standards of the time to be sure i don't think if you put on 1922's nosferatu now you're gonna be wetting yourself (laughs) but very much horror movies and this is the first sequence where we really see that inspiration when she runs into the spooky woods yep it's it's very abstract it's especially cabinet of dr caligari Uh, I don't think you've seen this movie, Mom. No, I don't think so. It is this very abstract, it's a German expressionist film. Mm -hmm. It's a very famous and very influential movie. It is, among other things, basically Tim Burton's, like, Bible. (laughs) It's the thing he always cites as his biggest influence and that he, you know, takes a lot of his visual ideas from. So if you think of Tim Burton, Uh this sequence is very much like that. Yep. We've got these 
living trees. At least they seem like they're living. It's, it's very abstract. It's not clear whether these woods are actually cursed in some way or she's just having a fear reaction. I think it's her imagination, but yeah. We've got the crocolog. Crocolog. I love crocolog. She falls into like a pond. And the logs look like crocodiles about to eat her. Crocolog, inarguably the breakout character of the film. <laughs> All these great hallucinations. Again, we're really seeing the visual imagination of this film. Yeah. Eventually she gets so scared that she faints. Yep. And then when she comes to, she's in a very pleasant clearing surrounded by kind little animals. So, you know, it wasn't that bad after all. We're establishing another Disney trope here where she talks with animals. Yes. Apparently, it is the easy thing to do in this land. Talk to animals. They're very intelligent animals. This is where we're getting the first rhyming dialogue. Not all of the dialogue in this movie rhymes. No. But a lot of it does. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of dialogue up to this point. Mostly it's just been the queen and the huntsman. Mm-hmm. Snow White has mostly just been singing. <laughs> Obviously the queen and the mirror are both rhyming in their first scene, but I I kind of thought that's just like, well, that's the incantation. Yeah. This is where I first noticed that the dialogue was rhyming. Uh-huh. Kind of leading into a song. We have the very famous shot of her getting pulled by the birds. That mm-hmm. was that was VHS trailer material for sure. <laughs> of course. When they are leading her to the cottage because she's asked them, do you know of somewhere I can go? Because I can't go home. That's true. If it feels like we're going through this movie a little fast, this movie doesn't have a lot of plot. No, it goes from song to song, basically. But the songs tell the story, though, more than movies up to this point. Well, that's one thing I thought was so interesting about the songs in this. A traditional movie musical, the main purpose of the songs is for characters who, for whatever reason or another, are maybe repressing their emotions to Uh express them in the biggest, loudest possible way, right? Right. That's not exactly how songs are used in this. Some of them are. But they're used more to drive the action and the animation. Yeah, they're more telling the story with the songs, like Disney had been doing with the Silly Symphonies or things like that. I mean, think about the Three Little Pigs. Their song is their story, and they just expanded that out for this movie. Exactly. That's exactly the difference, is that in this movie, songs are not... Like we talk about the MGM musicals, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to stand still in this one room. The movie will not progress. Right. I'm going to sing a song. Obviously, I'm overgeneralizing here. Right. But more what this takes inspiration from is exactly that. It's the silly symphonies. Uh As much as this is a more, you know, the most serious thing Disney had ever done up to this point, it's also an 80-minute silly symphony. And once I realized that, that's when this movie kind of clicked for me. Yeah. Because... I think the first time I saw it, that 2014 viewing, I wanted it to be a plottier movie. Uh-huh. I, I felt it was a little boring. Not for nothing, I kind of wanted it to be Sleeping Beauty. Well, you know, that one is better. It is one of my favorites, and I will be real excited to talk about that one when we get to it. <laughs> it, it is one of the best. Sleeping Beauty is a better movie than this, I think. It is. But this realization that, like, they're not taking inspiration from other animated movies because that doesn't exist yet. They're <laughs> taking inspiration from the dominant form of animation, which are these musical shorts. Right. And this scene really has a lot of that because this is the whistle-while-you-work scene. Uh-huh. And so that's a very popular song. 
And the scene, of course, is one I had seen many times before. But it's so much fun with all the animals doing all the silly jokes. Here's where you're first really getting the humor. There's a little bit in the with a smile and a song in the clearing, but I think it really starts to come into its own in the dwarf cottage. Yes, this is where we're getting really silly. The dwarf cottage itself looks really weird. Mm -hmm. We've got like decor faces and owls carved into stairs. Yep, somebody actually put a lot of work into that place once upon a time, but uh, they kind of let it go to pot. Yep, so she sings to all the animals and asks them to help her clean up. We get a lot of butt gags in this. (laughs) It's true. I had forgotten just how many butt jokes there are in this movie. Connor Ratliff, comedian I have a lot of respect for. He also has a great podcast. He also talks a lot about Disney cartoons on Twitter. Uh And he'll pick a character like Mickey Mouse and just go through every single one of their cartoons in doing so, posting them on Twitter and therefore making them more accessible than they unfortunately are (laughs) anywhere else. But he, one of the things he talks about a lot is the number of Disney butt gags in every cartoon. (laughs) Because I think people think of Disney, especially classic Disney, as this very like polished, you know, boring, like completely sanitized. Yes. There's butt jokes. There's there's (laughs) squirrels rubbing their butts on stuff. There's birds rubbing their butts on stuff all over this scene. Yeah. Some of the, I think it's squirrels, correct me if it's wrong. Some of the animals are cleaning plates by licking them. I think they're like the squirrels are holding it for the deer to lick off or something. But Snow White at least stops them from doing that because we were like, oh no, gross. That's, that's the most horrifying scene in the movie. That's Captain <laughs> Dr. Caligari right there. That's giving me nightmares. Dear tongue plate, no thank you. Yeah. But, you know, Snow White's been having to work as a maid, so she knows actually how to clean, which is very nice. Um, she, you know, knows yeah, you wash your dishes in the sink. <laughs> you don't sweep the dirt under the rug right she does have a lot of competency now it's a very what women are allowed to do in 1937 sort of competency in that she's very like she's very good at cleaning Uh she's very good at manners she's she's very good at housework but i mean she does have some agency in this more than you might expect yeah one of my favorite gags in this scene is one of the squirrels rolling up a spider web into a ball of yarn. <laughs> that is very funny. I, I don't know why. Just the idea of very careful, not like just wiping the spider web off, but very carefully putting it away. <laughs> you got to save that for later because it's a depression. You might need that yarn later. You might need that string. I don't <laughs> you know. Might not, you might need that spider web. <laughs> so then, of course, we cut to the the mine where the dwarfs are working you wanted to talk about what our favorite scenes are yes in each movie yes this is my favorite (laughs) this scene is so immediately vibrant and full of life the mine is a gorgeous set Uh it is so sparkly beyond sparkly it is (laughs) it is the richest you know gem mine that has ever existed it also contains every gem Uh that there is all colors All sizes. All of the dwarves have so much personality right from the beginning. These, of course, these characters are drawn way more cartoony than the human characters. Yep. And even though the human characters, obviously, we talked about look very good, this is clearly kind of where these animators' skills lie. And they make such a meal out of everything. Their hats (laughs) are funny. 
Their faces are funny. Their sleeves are constantly sliding up and down in a funny way. Each of the dwarves have such a unique personality, even yep. though you don't technically know their names yet. <laughs> and the song is great. I mean, I think it's the best song in the movie. It's it's probably the most iconic song in the movie. Well, the second part is, but I the first time I saw this movie, I was shocked that there was a first part to the hi-ho song. I never knew about the part where they're digging in the mine that that was actually part of the song. In a mine! I always just assumed it started with them walking through the woods going, hi-ho, 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 hi-ho. But no, it actually has that whole part at the beginning about digging in the mine and with the echoes and... It's very funny. I still remember how surprised I was the first time I saw this movie at this part. The funny thing is, I don't even associate this song with this movie. I think I forget that it's from it. Because to me, this was just like, I don't know, this was a song like kids sang on the playground or whatever. <laughs> it's just fully entered the cultural consciousness. Yes. This, of course, for anyone who doesn't know, this is the song that goes, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's home from work we go. Yep. And yeah, I mean, they are, they are going home from work in a mine. And they... <laughs> Put all of their massive, massive amounts of gems into a vault, labeled vault. Labeled the, vault, yes. With the key hanging on the outside of the door. <laughs> One of the things that's kind of great about this movie, because it is so impressionistic, we don't really get an explanation of why the dwarfs. Yeah, and why they work in the mine. They have so many gems here. They should be rich by uh -huh. any measure. And they don't seem to do anything with it. Obviously, they live in a hovel. <laughs> My theory is every day they collect enough gems that they never have to collect anymore. Yep. But because they leave them in a vault labeled vault with the key hanging on the outside, <laughs> they get stolen every day. So they come in the morning and they're like, all right, let's take the gems to sell them. Oh, they've been stolen again. All right, got to <laughs> mine again. <laughs> And they've just been doing this for 40 years. But we don't know what we dig them for. We dig, 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 dig. And then we go back to the cottage. We're in the dwarves' bedroom now. And their names are carved on all of their beds. <laughs> and I want to know what argument led to all their names being carved on their beds. <laughs> what, you think somebody was trying to sleep in somebody else's bed and they were... One hundred percent. As you pointed <laughs> out, the dwarves very much act like children in this movie. They do. Yeah, she thinks it's a house of chil for children because everything is small. And while they aren't children, they're dwarves. They kind of act like children sometimes. So 100%, there was an argument over whose bed is whose. And Doc was like, we are carving the names on every single bed so there could be no dispute. <laughs> Grumpy has started this fight for the fourth night in a row. <laughs> And then Snow White goes to sleep in the beds, which is fine. And then the animals go to sleep in the beds, which is not <laughs> fine at all. <laughs> Filthy beasts. And Filthy they didn't beasts. even Stay clean outside. that room. They didn't even clean the upstairs. No, they don't. <laughs> but then the dwarves come home and they see the smoke coming out of the chimney and they know somebody is there. And this is where we're really getting dwarf gags as oh, they yeah. have to infiltrate their own home. <laughs> and we're starting to get more of there's even though there's seven dwarves, there's really three that get the most to do. Uh -huh. There's Doc. Walt described him as the self-appointed leader. <laughs> he, he mixes up his words all the time. And that's kind of it. There's Dopey, who does not talk. Yep. It is very distinct. And he exists for slapstick purposes. Yep. Which is all well and good. He's definitely the Harpo of the group. 
he is so Harpo Marx. You said that after the first time we watched it, and I hadn't been thinking about that, but you are absolutely correct. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a deliberate inspiration after you mentioned <laughs> that. I mean, it's the right time. Yep. And then there's Grumpy, and Grumpy's deal is that he is the best. <laughs> oh, he is definitely the funniest. I love the way he talks. Everything he says and does is funny. Mm-hmm. And he also is the most interesting dwarf character. He he has an arc. He does. But yeah, we're infiltrating their own home. Uh, we get a big mom laugh that I wrote down as as one of the dwarves is peeking through another dwarf's beard. Yes, that cracked me up. They pile. They all poke their heads in the door, and one has to peek through the bottom. It's probably dopey. And they're looking around, being like, "Our cobwebs are missing." <laughs> Somebody stole our dishes. No, no, they put them in the cupboard. Why would they do that? <laughs> we have the first sneezy moment. He, like, shoves his face into flowers and he sneezes. Yep. Th- that, That's his bit. Yep. Well, you know, they hired a guy who's famous for doing his sneezing. So that that's why. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. That was that guy's bit. They hired a famous sneezer? It's a vaudeville thing, right? A lot of these guys, the guy who did Doc, they hired him. That was his bit, the talking like that. And they hired the guy for Sneezy. I'm sorry, I don't know the names off the top of my head of the actors. There I am with the voice actors not knowing. I'm sorry. Um, Right, that's that's Roy Atwell uh was Doc Uh and Billy Gilbert as Sneezy because I have this all pulled up. He was famous for being able to sneeze like that. And apparent the, the story goes, that was his audition is he went to see Walt. He sneezed three times and got the job. <laughs> that is such amazing context. Thank you for sharing that. And it also, I have to say, it makes it a little more disappointing that the voice actors aren't credited if they're just doing their bits. Yeah. It, it's also, I was going to say like, wow, you know, what passed for entertainment in the 30s? A guy sneeze weird. <laughs> but then I thought about how much time I spend watching like TikToks or whatever. <laughs> like these dumb little videos. And I'm like, mm, we're not so different. We're right. a pretty easily entertained species. Yep. Yep, we are. Uh, so the dwarves are doing all kinds of bits all over. Mm-hmm. And then uh, finally, Dopey is sent to die. <laughs> Poor Dopey. They think that he's not smart enough to be scared, but he is. Right. And they think there is a monster upstairs who will kill whoever they send. And so they're like, well, Dopey. <laughs> nice to see they're watching out for the young ones. Exactly. <laughs> Interestingly, this is a moment where we see Dopey isn't actually mute because he walks up into the room. He's scared of Snow White under the blanket. He just sees the like silhouette of her. And he actually screams and runs back downstairs. Yep. Which is kind of interesting. The explanation we get later is he doesn't know if he can talk because he never tried. Uh Uh-huh. It's just, I don't know, it's just an interesting bit. (laughs) Yep. And he makes some other noises later, I think, with the soap. Yes, I think so too. Here's some stuff you wouldn't hear in a modern Disney movie. The dwarves say of our hero... Off with its head! We'll break its bones! <laughs> chop it to pieces! Which end do we kill? <laughs> this movie, we were talking about with the Spooky Woods, this movie's pretty dark for a Disney movie. Uh-huh. We don't say the word kill in kids' movies most of the time anymore. No. Usually it's like, I will destroy you, I will defeat you. Yeah. This one, you know, Grumpy's like, I'm gonna do murder! <laughs> 
And I have to say, it made me laugh. The <laughs> juxtaposition of these goofy dwarves <laughs> and their bloodlust. <laughs> but then they realize it's Snow White and they are immediately pacified. Oh, of course. Oh, it's the princess. Yay. Except for Grumpy. Except for Grumpy, who says, all females is pison. <laughs> they got womenly wiles. Wicked wiles. What are wicked wiles? He says, I don't know, but I'm again them. <laughs> Saying again is always funny. I'm again him is just a funny <laughs> sentence. It is. And here's where you really see the contrast, though, of the art design with Snow White looking very normal and the dwarves being uh, much more cartoony in shape. And also, they've only got four f- fingers on each hand, as opposed to Snow White, who has five. Nobody ever points this out. It's just the thing. All pinkies is pies. <laughs> Thumb, index, middle, and ring is all you need. <laughs> it still feels cohesive, despite yes. the very clashing art styles. Unlike, not to belabor this point, certain modern movies that use live action and CGI. <laughs> certain modern Disney movies that use live action and CGI. It's difficult to get the balance. And they managed to strike the balance their first go-round. Pretty amazing. Definitely. So Snow White wakes up. They're all introduced. They all figure each other out. She's talking about apple dumplings. And Doc, mixing up his words, calls them crapple dumpkins. <laughs> which was very funny to me because both of those words mean poop now. <laughs> Probably not what they were going for at the time. Also, by the way, I should mention that I am uh, 12 years old. (laughs) But they go back downstairs to get their crappled dumpkins. (laughs) One thing I noticed about this is when they go down to the dining room, we're seeing it from a different angle. Yeah. Which, of course, means that they had to completely redraw the background. Pretty crazy, huh? No wonder it took so long to make this movie. Exactly. That's the thing. That's like the perfectionism of this movie. You would expect, okay, so much of this movie takes place in the one location. They're just going to use the same background over and over. Nope. No, they're staging it like it's a live action movie. Uh Uh-huh. Which, again, you know, from a modern perspective, like, yes, obviously that is the right way you do things, but... They're making it up. Uh Uh-huh. So, of course, before they can eat dinner, they have to wash their hands. And this leads to my, I think, my favorite part of this whole movie. The Buddha-Luddle-Lum-Dum song. (laughs) Now, let me be clear. I checked the time codes on this. There are seven minutes of hand washing. (laughs) It's It's funny from the very beginning when she first tells them and they're like, why would we need to wash? It, it's not New Year. It's not <laughs> our birthday or whatever. I can't remember all the different things they say, but then they have to go and Doc has to explain how to do it. <laughs> right. And and they sing. It's sort of a song. It's almost more patter. Yeah, but it is. It's considered a song. This is one of the few songs that I hadn't seen or heard a ton of times. So that's probably one of the reasons why it sticks out now as some a part that I enjoy more because I'm not tired of it. Um, or I guess saturated with it is a better phrase than tired. But I just love how some of the actual lyrics of the song are... That is the chorus of the song is... And then, of course, it leads to some great grumpy business 
where they're having to wash him because he refuses. <laughs> this is really, I mean, you could clip out these seven minutes and it's just a silly symphony. Like yeah. so many, especially like the best Donald Duck cartoons are usually just Donald Duck struggles doing a mundane task. Oh, for sure. And that's exactly what this is. This is the dwarves struggle with a mundane task. Yep. And it, it is, it's a lot of fun. And talking about, you know, Every silly sequence needs to be balanced out with something else. Mm -hmm. We cut back now to the scary castle. Yeah, and the queen is talking to her mirror again. And she's like, who's the fairest of them all? And he's like, it's still Snow White. She hasn't quite left the zip code. She's like, it can't be. I have her heart. And it turns out to be the heart of a pig. And let me tell you, she opens the box. She's lifting it up. I was like, are we about to see a severed animal heart in a Disney film. Because we talked about it's much darker than some of the more recent ones. There was a moment. We don't, for the record. No. But, but it, because it, it's the it, first one. It gets one, awful close. Because it's the first one, you feel more like it could go anywhere. <laughs> and the Huntsman, I think, has fled. I think they say something to specify that the Huntsman doesn't get murdered. Well, I would hope he gave her the heart and then ran away. Like, right. Okay, bye. And then, so she goes down into her basement. She starts doing some spooky spells. Yeah, because, of course, you have to have your spooky basement for your evil magic, I guess. <laughs> and we're kind of, it's weird because we're kind of operating in horror movie mode now. Mm -hmm. But also the ingredients of her potion are a boiled cackle <laughs> and a scream of fright that comes out like steam. Yep. Uh, and then she has her transformation. And this, of course, is why Disney had his animators watch Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And now to undercut the creepiness of the transformation sequence, we go to the cottage and we have the, what is it called? The nonsense song? Um, it's either, it's both called the dwarf's yodel song and the silly song. Right. And this is like, a G-rated drinking song is what this is. <laughs> yeah, you get the feeling it has innumerable verses. Everyone's getting up there. Bashful, you know, gets up there and obviously is very shy. Has a hard time getting started. And Grumpy is playing this weird wooden organ that he pumps with his butt. Because, <laughs> of course. And he, I kind of love him. I mean, obviously, clearly, I just love Grumpy. But I love him in this scene because he's so, like, you know... Keep your cues. Like, he's playing it so intently. Yes. I almost picture him being like, I'm an artiste. <laughs> it's true. You you feel like, why is he even participating in this silliness? <laughs> I think it's because he's very serious about the music. <laughs> he, he just, it, it, it comes across like he just can't stand how ridiculous everyone is being. <laughs> while he is trying to create. Like, he's Salieri. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, we have another famous sequence, which is the Muppet Man sequence, where a bunch of the dwarves get <laughs> into Man. a trench coat and they're dancing with Snow White. And then the kids, they've gotten all their energy out. So now you have to lull them to sleep. And you do that with Someday My Prince Will Come. Yep. A very famous, very sleepy song. Yes. Gotta quiet them down for the night. Also a very short song. Like when I was looking it up so that I could uh, absolutely nail that cold open. Very good. Very good. I realized that it's only like a minute and 20 seconds or something. It's super short. It feels pretty long though. Because <laughs> it's so much slower, I guess. I'm just going to say it. I don't love it. 
then there's an argument over who is going to sleep on the dwarf-sized beds and who is going to sleep on the human-sized couch. Obviously, the human is going to sleep on the dwarf-sized beds and the dwarves are going to sleep on the couch. But also in pots and pans and cupboards and... Any place they can fit. More visual tomfoolery. Yes. And then we're back at the spooky castle where uh, the queen has been working on the sleeping death which apparently takes a long time to prepare. Much longer than her transformation potion. And this is where she's messing with her bird because she makes the creepy apple. <laughs> and then she's holding it up to the bird and she's like, you know, do you want to bite me? <laughs> she definitely a lot more verbal now that she's changed in her, to her evil hag form. It's like she's let her hair down. She can be herself. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what this is like. It's like she's a different character. Yeah. And I think it's because this movie very much equates goodness with beauty. Snow White is the most beautiful and she's the most good. Yeah. And so this is kind of like once the queen is physically ugly, we see her real ugliness come through, which is Mm -hmm. not my favorite message. No. It's 1937. It's a Disney movie. This is not going to be a feminist text. No. Even if the female is the main character she's not very uh strong (laughs) i guess Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of again stuff that we probably wouldn't be saying today about her blood congeal (laughs) and when the queen in this like old hag form or witch, i think they call it the witch form or something but when she's like this though she's reading she reads in her spell book that loves first kiss can break the spell and what i love is that her solution to this problem is not oh well who could ever love snow white it's but before anyone gets the chance to kiss her she'll be buried alive (laughs) yeah she's definitely got that evil cackle on she looks straight into the camera and says she will die by suffocation this movie's for kids (laughs) (laughs) and then another contender for favorite scene she messes with a skeleton. <laughs> I, On her way to what appears to be the River Styx, I guess. <laughs> there's a skeleton dead in a cell with a cup, like, just out of reach of its skeletal hand. And she goes, thirsty? Have a drink! And she kicks the cup into the skeleton. Its bones shatter. Bones everywhere. I'd forgotten about that bit, but it's really, it's another way to show... Yeah, she's really an awful person. She tortured this guy to death of thirst with water just out of reach. A connection I didn't even make until you said that. (laughs) You're absolutely right. I mean, why would she leave somebody else's torture victim there? Well, I I thought the cup just happened to be there like it was detritus. That's what I thought. I didn't think think (laughs) she was mocking someone else's torture victim. I rent out this torture basement. (laughs) It's the land's number one source of income. (laughs) Well, I mean, he was completely a skeleton, so he'd been dead for a while. I don't come down here often. (laughs) I've got stuff to do. I'm busy. (laughs) I only have so much time for mocking corpses. (laughs) So then we're back in the cottage. It's daytime. Doc tells Snow White not to trust strangers, which... She will ignore almost immediately. Don't let anybody into the cottage. There's business where she's given all the dwarves kisses on the forehead. Dopey tries to get two. Yep. Oh, then he tries to get more. (laughs) By the way, something I skipped over. The previous evening, 
another thing we would not see in a modern Disney movie, Snow White is praying. Yeah, she actually says her bedtime prayers before she goes to bed. She is praying to the Christian God. <laughs> Which again, 1937, not just normal, but like expected. It would be weird to not have that. But still, still seems strange nowadays to see it. Right, you're never going to see Elsa doing that. <laughs> No. And one of the things she prays for is that Grumpy will like her uh-huh. because he has been up to this point pretty much fully a jerk. Yeah. But at this point, even though he's pretending he doesn't want to, he clearly is trying for a kiss as well. And after he gets it, he kind of like looks back at her and smiles. And it is his first truly endearing moment. Yep. And it is a nice bit of character work. It's true. He's still himself grumpy. And yet, you can tell he's pleased. Yes. Then the queen is hanging out with some vultures. <laughs> yes, she's talking as she walks through the forest about how excited she is to be going to kill Snow White. So, of course, they have to come along. They're like, oh, dang, she gonna kill Snow White. I'm getting a corpse burger. <laughs> These are some really creepy looking vultures. They are really creepy, and they're the only animals... Well, I guess none of the other animals talk. No, they don't talk. But these don't make noises or nothing. These are just silently watching you. Mm -hmm. Someday my prince will come again. And then Snow White is making a pie that looks really delicious, other than the birds rubbing (laughs) themselves all over it. Little bird feet on the edges. Birds aren't clean. No. Birds are gross. And then we start yet another classic Disney tradition, which is uh, princesses trusting people they got no business trusting. I do like that she was making the pie for Grumpy because she actually puts his name on it. So that's pretty sweet. It is sweet. But yeah, now she's trusting creepy old peddler lady who is not doing a great job trying to be nice. Hi, I'm obviously evil and making oblique references to how this apple will kill you. (laughs) But I'm making them after turning my head slightly, so if you could just hear none of them, that would be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I work in marketing in my day job, and in marketing terms, let me tell you, this is a bad pitch. (laughs) Yeah. Why couldn't she have turned herself into sweet-looking granny instead of evil-looking creepy crone? Peddler lady. Again, I mean, the non-funny answer is that this is an impressionistic movie yep. and you're not supposed to take it literally yep. and like think too hard about mm-hmm. it. But the non-funny version, yes, is that she's just bad. <laughs> that, that she's not very good at this. Um, but she's good enough because Snow White is very naive. Snow White is more trusting than the animals who are all like this, this, the evil queen. Yeah. They all figure it out immediately. And they run to get the dwarves. So we're cutting between them. The queen gets into the house and she's repitching it. She's like, never mind all that stuff I said about this apple being creepy. It's a wishing apple. <laughs> One bite and all your dreams come true. Coming soon to be <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the dwarves are trying to figure out what the animals are telling them. And Sleepy, interestingly enough, is the one who figures it out. Maybe the queen's got Snow White. And Grumpy leads the way. Yes. When the two of us were watching this together, we were also watching it with my father. Mm -hmm. Which I mentioned because he made a great joke that I'm going to steal. (laughs) Which is, the crone goes, old granny knows a young girl's heart. And he goes, unless it's a pig's heart. (laughs) It's true 
pretty good. Pretty good. It's a pretty good one. And then we have what is, I made the joke earlier, but this is the actual most upsetting scene in the movie to me. This is the only scene that like got to me as a grown man, which is Snow White takes the bite of the apple Mm -hmm. off screen. Mm -hmm. All we see is Granny's reaction as she's like ecstatically watching her die. We hear Snow White making like noises of pain and she goes, Oh, I feel strange. And because we don't see any of it, you imagine it being so much creepier than it is. Well, and the old witch is doing the her breath, her blood congeals stuff again. She's saying it as it's happening. And it's so creepy. And then again, we have that very famous shot of we just see Snow White's arm fall and she drops the apple. Mm. Then the dwarves come back and once again, they are ready for murder. They are. They see the evil crone leaving the house and they are immediately convinced it's the witch. I mean, the queen. Because look at her. Right. So they don't even stop to check on Snow White. They just chase her immediately. And of course, now it's getting stormy and you got to have the weather participating in this. And the vultures are still following. It is this great epic showdown. It is all of this like... It, it, it's really bringing like all of the visuals to bear, all of these creepy inspirations, but all these epic fantasy inspirations. And the dwarves have weapons drawn, yep. but they don't actually kill the queen. I think even for this time, that's a bridge too far for a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. So they chase her and she's trying to loose a rock to drop on their heads and lightning strikes instead and the cliff collapses and she falls. And you know she's dead because the vultures go after her with their big creepy grins. That yes, that is which is a really good payoff to the vultures following her around. Yep. And is definitely upsetting in its own right. And I always forget that the evil queen dies in this movie. I mean, I think it's appropriate. Yep. As you say, she's torturing and doing murder like she's bad news. She is. But I I don't know. I'm always surprised because again, I think Even I sometimes fall into this trap of thinking like, oh, Disney movies, they never kill their villains. (laughs) Nope, here we are in the very first one. Yep. Um, And then we go through a lot of plot in a really short time. We get a title card Mm -hmm. that talks about how Snow White was so beautiful even in death that rather than burying her alive... The dwarves put her in a glass coffin. The prince is searching for her. It takes a year. Glass coffin, of course, itself is a really striking image. The prince shows up. The dwarves are very reverent. No jokes now. Mm-hmm. He kisses this corpse like a per- like a normal person does. <laughs> like a regular person do. I tend to look at it as he's kind of saying goodbye, as, as people do. But, uh... Instead, of course, it's true love's kiss. Hooray! And she wakes up. Yep. And to her perspective, the apple really was a wishing apple. Because, of course, what she wished for was for her prince to come and take her away and she could live with him forever. And what happens is she bites the apple. She falls asleep. She wakes up in the arms of her prince. Yeah. Which is the first time I thought of that the first time this time I watched the movie. It's kind of creepy. <laughs> I mean, it. I think it's ironic yes. is what it yes. is, right? That the, the queen comes up with this lie and it kind of turns out to be true. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, Snow White makes out like a bandit. I mean, <laughs> she, she even got 
I would love to sleep for a year. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Imagine how good she feels. Yeah, super rested. We say goodbye to the dwarves. There's a little bit of business, but surprisingly not a whole lot. And uh, they ride off into the sunset. We get a happily ever after, and the book closes. Yep. Satisfactory all round. <laughs> so here's the prince's arc. Okay, okay. At the end of the movie, when he and Snow White are riding off into his castle that kind of looks like it's in the clouds, uh-huh. as they're riding up, it gets smaller. Oh. Unlike at the beginning of the movie when they couldn't do, you know, the, the foreshortening correctly and it looked like his horse was the same size as he was riding in. Uh-huh. So the prince's arc, you see, is that over the course of the movie, he finally gets some perspective. Oh. <laughs> That's a... Bad joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, groan, groan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, that was the last episode of Me, Mom, and the Mouse, everybody. Oh, if I couldn't take your puns. I mean, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have lasted this long. It would have been a hard few decades of <laughs> racing and living with me. Yep. So that's the end of the movie. But that is not the end of the legacy of the movie. And that is why I would like to talk about sequels, spin-offs, remakes, rides, and reboots. In a segment we're calling sequels, spin-offs, remakes, rides, and reboots. Or SSRRR. Mm-hmm. Sir. <laughs> All right. I want to get this out of the way. We are not going to cover every single sequel, spinoff, remake, ride, and reboot in these podcast episodes because these are Disney movies. They all got a lot of them. It's true. Some of them have a a lot of them. But some of them are so interesting to us personally that we want to talk about them. Mm -hmm. This one, it doesn't have as much as a lot of the others. I think, honestly, largely because it's so old, right? Like, obviously, this is before the era of video games. (laughs) Yes. This is before the era of theme parks, not for nothing. Mm-hmm. The most immediate thing that came out was a comic strip adaptation. <laughs> there was a Silly Symphony newspaper comic strip, and for four months they did the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Wow. Uh, there was, when Disneyland opened up, there was a theme park ride. There is. Snow White's, Snow White's Scary Adventures. Yep, Still around. That's one of those rides that I haven't been on as many times because it's a very short ride. So we never, my parents were always like, oh, it's not worth the wait if it's a really long wait time. But also when I was little, it is actually Snow White's Scary Adventures. And they were afraid we'd be too scared on that ride. So we didn't go when we were little. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a scary movie. I could imagine. I don't remember ever riding that ride. Yeah, I mean, it just basically focuses on the scary parts of the movie, like the running through the forest and the queen, and it has the stuff with the transformation and the apple. And Is my boy Crocolog there? Oh, I can't remember. I hope so, but I don't remember. I'll go on a long Wikipedia deep dive to figure it out. I bet you could find a video um, that's a ride through. That ride is no longer at Disney World, though. It has been replaced. Well, technically, it got replaced with something else. And yes. then they added the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train Coaster somewhere else. Yeah, because they basically redid that entire fantasy land. So that is a good ride. Yep, that one's a lot more fun. I love the I mean, I love the coasters, but it, it's also yeah. 
focuses on the dwarves and their mine, and it's got a lot of cool sparkly parts. It has great animatronics. Yes. It's a nice indoor ride, perfect for when it's getting a little hotter, like, you know, you're 4 p.m., like, mm. I want to go inside. That's not completely indoors, though. That's true. Yeah. But it's a, it's a more thrilling roller coaster by Disney standards. Yeah. Obviously, Snow White herself, you know, even if her movie doesn't have a whole lot of spinoffs, um, it did not get the direct-to-video sequel that so many of the later, especially the Renaissance movies, would get. We're going to talk about Mulan 2. Yeah. But, of course, Snow White herself is part of the Disney princess character line. Yeah. Of whom there's so much merchandise and spinoffs, and they're kind of a franchise in their own right, including a television program that I found out you watched all of. Well, not quite all of. We watched, my husband and I watched Once Upon a Time... The TV series based loosely on the Disney characters. If anybody else made this show, Disney could have sued because it definitely takes the characters with a lot of the story straight from their movies, but twisting it just a little to make it a more grown up story. We watched about five of the seven seasons before we got tired of it. <laughs> um, but the basic premise is that there's a separate fairy tale land and these characters have been transported and their memories erased to a town called Storybrook in Maine. And the mayor of the town is the evil queen from Snow White. Snow White is the school teacher whose name is Mary Margaret. And the prince... Uh, forgotten his name in the show is is they completely separate he's married to someone else like they com everybody's completely separated all their happily ever afters are broken that was the queen's wish and of course who's come to save them all but snow white and the prince charming's daughter <laughs> okay and then it goes from there sounds bad <laughs> it's actually pretty good at first you know a lot of people i know like that show mm -hmm. good for all of you but what if i told you that is the only Snow White television show mm -hmm. that made it to series. <laughs> yes. This is what I really wanted to talk about because I am fascinated by the weird slash bad. <laughs> In the 2000s, Disney Toon Studios, mm -hmm. at the time this is the Disney television division, uh -huh. began developing a computer animated prequel mm -hmm. to snow white and the seven dwarfs uh-huh this already bad yeah the computer animated prequel to snow white and the seven dwarfs <sighs> this already a problem yes the director and screenwriter pitched a story that would explain how the dwarfs met met we gotta have an origin story mom there can't just <sighs> be dwarfs i always assumed they were just brothers or something you gotta explain how they fell into a radioactive pit of dwarf uh -huh. <laughs> and how the evil queen killed snow white's father and took the throne mm -hmm. they changed the plot of it yeah they were like you know what that obviously sounds terrible and like it's gonna be a huge downer instead we've got a pitch that can't miss oh it will instead be about how dopey lost his voice upon witnessing the death of his mother oh that's terrible. Dopey mom status. Dopey Dead. Uh, I like dopey mom status indeterminate <laughs> as it is in the movie because I much prefer Happy's explanation of why Dopey doesn't talk. He's never tried. Yeah, I, 
I cannot believe Dopey lost his voice upon witnessing the death of his mother. By the way, you know what's another thing I don't want to think about? Dwarf parents. Yeah. Like, not in that, not, not, I'm not making a reference to anything gross. I'm just saying, like, there doesn't need to be any explanation. Right. There doesn't. The movie doesn't have a lot of explanation, so trying to add more doesn't really make sense. So then, Disney purchased Pixar. They made the head of Pixar, John Lasseter, the head of Disney Tunes, John Lasseter, somebody we're going to talk about a lot because he went on to become the head of Disney Animation. He is a filmmaking genius and also a creepy pervert. But as soon as he became Disney Toon's new chief creative officer, he canceled Dwarfs. At least he did that. You can't fault his instincts on that. Correct, correct. And that's really all I want to talk about in terms of spinoffs. Let's talk about what we thought of this movie. All right. Now, rather than giving a number rating, because this is not a show about number ratings <laughs> we have two questions that we ask uh-huh the first of these questions being mom would you recommend this movie yes i think i would recommend this movie especially as you know oh you should definitely see the first especially to people who are already fans of disney it, it's really nice that it's available to watch now i'm glad that we don't have to wait for it to come into theaters every few years absolutely I don't know that I'd recommend it as somebody's first animated movie. It's definitely not the sort of stuff people are going to watch on a regular basis, I feel like, today. It's not one I feel the need to watch a lot, I guess. So that's why I don't feel like it's one that's going to be a ton of people's top fave. <laughs> but yeah, I would recommend it. I, I think I would give it a slightly stronger recommendation than you. I'm also going to recommend this movie, mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're not only interested in Disney history, but interested in film history, because this is such a monumental thing. You have to come at it understanding that this was not made with a modern sensibility at all, uh -huh. that it's going to have this very impressionistic visuals first, plot second style. Mm -hmm. But I really enjoyed that. In movies i enjoy that in all kinds of movies and so i really enjoyed this i was really happy to watch it again definitely definitely recommend from isaac <laughs> now the second question we ask when rating these movies is would you show this to a child slash in mom's case did you show this to your children well obviously i did show it to you eventually I don't think I would have showed it to you when you were very little because you did tend to be scared of a lot of movies and I would definitely have waited until you were older to let you see it. I mean, we'll talk about this when we get to the Disney movies I did watch as a kid, but I was scared of things that were not scary at all. So this actually upsetting movie, <laughs> probably no good. Yeah. It's weird that I also have to answer this question. I guess... I would show this to a child. I mean, I don't know. Like you, I think it depends on the child, but mm. I think it's mostly okay. I think in some ways a child might enjoy this more than certainly like I did as a teenager or even an adult because they're not going to be thinking about is it plotty enough or this hand-washing scene is going on for a while. They're just <laughs> going to be like, you know, oh, it's fun. The dwarves are silly. It's all fun. Yeah. They're not going to question the logic of it. Uh-huh. So that brings us to the conclusion of our first episode, but don't worry, we'll be back again next time with 1940s Pinocchio. What do you think of that one, Mom? I like Pinocchio. I've actually seen it far more times than I've seen Snow White, so it'll be interesting to 
watch it again and see what I still remember. So for an interesting rewatch, join us next time. But until then, I'm me. I'm Mom. And it all started with a mouse.